Well, it looks like you all hated me so much that you've given me this award for it. That it can be about the performance and not the politics. This moment is so much bigger than me. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. And thank all of you who voted for me and all of you who didn't, please excuse me. I deserve this, thank you. And welcome back to this week's Academy Queens. It ain't putting that to shit, you fucking idiot. It's just the fucking start. Why don't you put that in your goddamn Missouri fucking wake-up broadcast, bitch? I'm Joey Gentili. And don't pick a fight with me. You certainly won't come out alive. I'm Brandon Stanwyck. And this is this week's episode of Academy Queens, your LGBT guide to the Academy Awards per decade per category. We're in season five. This is the class of 2017. Holy shit, we are almost done with this season. Um, this has flown by for you guys, but this is actually our first episode we're recording of the season. So it's uh, it's kind of funny how this will sound in the end. Right. So we're recording an episode that's in the second half of the season first. And part of that reason is because uh, of our guest we have today. I guess we'll just uh, bring him in right away. Um, he is one of my favorite people on the film Twitter. He is a co-host of the Gavrits and just an all-around bundle of joy. We have with us Rye. Hello, Rye. How are you doing? Hi, guys. I'm awesome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> Welcome, finally. I know. It took forever, but this is going to be my favorite. This is one of my favorite years to discuss, so I'm ready to kill it. Right. Is, so yes. if I'm not mistaken, you were the first guest that we had scheduled for this season and you jumped mm -hmm. on to this year right away. So I'm curious, what is it about this year in particular that you're so enthusiastic about? I think there's so many films that were so good, but there were so many decisions that were made this year that were so wrong. So I feel like there's so many things for me to, to, to dive into. I just feel like there's so much to discuss. And the nominees were good for the most part. I don't feel like it was a, I don't feel like there was anything that was like too like disgusting. I mean, there's things that weren't amazing, but I feel like there are things that we can discuss that um, I can share my perspective on and hopefully Film Titter won't kill me tomorrow or whenever this airs. <laughs> well, it, it's funny because um, you did jump at this, but also too, which you did what I did with someone else. Um, uh, we actually were talking about having you on since season three, which for anyone who's obviously listened to us, that would have been the 90s. But when we announced the uh, guests of season four, I love that you retweeted us with the, I am never going to be on this show. And the funniest thing about it is that you were going to get that offer because we knew that you loved this year of season five. So we've actually had you booked for months. And I love. And, and, it was so funny because it was the exact uh, year we wanted you on. That's the one that you, you, again, you jumped for. So it really worked out all in the end. And again, like for the people at home listening, this is the first episode we are recording of the season. So not only did you get on a full season before, but now you're on the very first episode of the season for us recording. See, my mind is so powerful. It amazes me sometimes. <laughs> what are you working on these days? Well, I'm trying to watch more movies. I've been really horrible about it, but um, I'm doing that. Um, I've been doing a lot of, I've been trying to promote my Instagram a lot, which is not really film related, but I'm really trying to get back into film criticism and 
trying to maybe film some videos for YouTube and um, my friend Daniel Brilliant, whose birthday is today, but that won't air in time. Um, he and I are gonna try to start the gay birth again because it's been a few months. It take me a few months hiatus, but we're gonna jump right back in soon. This will be fun. There you go. There you go. Uh, Brandon, anything else before we get going? Um, well, I guess just to capture this little moment in time, although people will hear this weeks from now, um, have we all seen Spike Lee's new joint, The Defy Bloods? Yes. No. I, have. No, I well, wish. highly recommend it. Oh, I watched. So the, good. I watched The King of Staten Island because I actually like Pete Davidson, his bag of bones looking ass. But you know, <laughs> I like him. I don't know. I thought it was really good. I'm like a Judd Apatow slut. I think I'm just into that genre of his. I mean, every film is like the same to me. He's no well, range. How was that movie though? I actually really enjoyed it, honestly. I feel like Judd Apatow, I just think he understands. I mean, he doesn't know how to edit a movie because his movies are always like five hours long, but <laughs> it's true. It's T. I love him, but I can tell it like it is. Um, yeah. I thought it was really entertaining, you know? It was nice to see Pete Davidson actually show a little bit of actual acting. Like, I saw some dramatic acting from him for like the first time, I think, in my life. Mm-hmm. So that was nice, you know? I, I thought he had some emotion. I honestly thought it was really good. I mean, still, I think the best movie I've seen this year is Emma. But again, I've seen like 10 movies, so (laughs) the bar is so low. Don't feel bad. I don't think a lot of people have seen many movies this year. This movie's been a shit, or this year's been a shit show. It's been awful. I mean, hopefully the fall will give me something to snatch my wig with. I'm just, I'm hoping. I need something. I'm hungry. Well, Well, I hope uh, Defy Blood snatches your wig, because I think it's... uh one of Spike Lee's best films in a long time, and uh, it really got to me in a way, so. Yeah. Also, Delroy Lindo is amazing. He gives me life. I love Spike Lee. I always have, so I think the likelihood of me loving it is, like, very high. I don't really see a a way it doesn't... I kind of love him. Well, it's it's funny that you mentioned um, the the, running time of King of Staten Island because I was going to comment on Brandon. I want to see if you agree with me on this one. Defy Bloods is two and a half hours long and there was a literal point where there was still an hour an hour or like 45 minutes left and I'm and I literally went holy shit I don't know what else they can do or what they can like where they can go because at that point the movie are like so much happens in this movie that you're like, oh, that's got to be the ending. But nope, wait, there's more. There's still like 45 minutes to the point, but it never feels like it drags. It just feels like it. it's almost overwhelming with how much is going on in this movie. Brandon, would you mm-hmm. agree with that statement? Yeah, um, the movie does not feel like it's runtime to me. I didn't think yeah. it felt like two and a half hours. But like you said, it did reach a point about one and a half hours into the movie where I didn't know where else they were going to go. I was like, is this movie just going to drag on for the last hour? But it doesn't. It goes in a direction that I did not see coming. Like, if you, had, if you had stopped the movie halfway through and told me, where is this movie going, I would not have predicted it. So it takes a very radical turn and keeps its pace going until the very end. And it's fantastic. I highly recommend um, this one. Yeah, I'm yeah. definitely going to watch it today. One question for you. How is Jonathan Majors? Very good. Yeah, I love him. I loved him in the last Black Man in San Francisco. Me and too. is it? Do you think it's our first actual Oscar contender? Sorry, I'm asking a lot of questions. I'm just curious. No, I, 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 
here's the thing with where we're at today i i'm one of mm-hmm. the few people like if we look at everything before defy bloods that have come out this year i would honestly say like i loved the hunt i think Betty mm-hmm. Gilpin and Hillary Swank deserve actress and supporting actress noms. And honestly, if we were going off of what came out so far, I'd be like, that's the best picture thus far. Then bring in The Five Bloods, and I'm like, this is our first big awards movie of the year. So I would say, yeah, it is. Yeah, I don't know about first, but I'd say it's definitely, it, it ought to be a contender in many categories. Yeah. And it's Netflix, so they they're going to push it, you know, like they're going to actually make the conscious effort to push it. And Spike Lee too. So it's like, mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to watch it tonight. Cause I just, my mom and I, we watched the King of Satin Island the other day and I think she wanted a day break. And so tonight will be Spike Lee. Well, it's a heavy film. So just yeah. go into it knowing that there is some very serious subject matter. So it's not exactly a breezy film, but it's a uh, very good. And I for me, that you- won't matter. <laughs> I will say too, because you brought up Jonathan Majors um, really quick. There is probably my favorite scene. It's, don't worry, it's not a spoiler. There's a, one of my favorite scenes in this movie. It's when Jonathan Majors plays the son to Delroy Lindo. Oh. And there is a scene where he's getting like talked to like he's a child and he's looking up. The way Spike shoots the scene, it's like he's getting reprimanded by the four four adults. And they look giant, and he's looking up, and they're looking down, and it really like is a power play shot to where, you know, they make sure that he that he's aware who's in charge. I thought it was brilliant the way it was shot because you know Jonathan Majors is a giant in real life. Um, yes, he is. I, I just thought, yeah, I just thought the way Spike shot that scene in particular for where the story goes that it's like I'm in charge, but later it's like, guess what? You know what I mean? So. <laughs> Again, that's not a spoiler or anything, but uh, yeah, I'm yeah, excited. My favorite shot in that movie. Yeah, Spike Lee definitely has a command of cinematic language, and mm-hmm. uh, he plays with it a lot in this film, so it's a good one. Yeah, I'm excited. But, oh yeah, but um, as much as we love Spike Lee, we also love these actresses. So something we want to add to this this season, which you guys have obviously heard by now, but. Um, you know, at the end of every episode, we've always been like, hey, did our guesses, you know, or did our winners um, surprise you? Well, let's find out how close we can get to everyone's actual winners. So I'm going to start with Rye. I definitely think that you're going to go with Sir Ronan in lead. I want to say you probably going with Metcalf. But if anyone is going to upset here for you, it might be Leslie Manville. But if I'm going to choose who you're going to go with, I'm going to go with both Lady Bird ladies. Brandon, I want to say Manville, but it wouldn't surprise me if you went Metcalf. And uh, see, for lead, my mind says you're going to go Robbie, but my gut says Hawkins. So I'm going to go, you're going to go Hawkins and Manville. Okay. Um, Joey, I'm not really sure in lead or really supporting. I'm just really not sure this year. But my gut tells me Manville and supporting and Robbie and lead. I'm not sure why, but right now that's a uh, looking at the list in front of me. Those are the two names my eye keeps going to for you. So I'm gonna go Robbie and Manville. Uh, Rye, um, I'm thinking Hawkins and Metcalf. Not sure why, but again, that's just where my eye's going when I think about you in this lineup. I don't, I don't know what that says, but there you go. Honestly, um, well for Joey, I just I don't know why I feel like Francis McDormand. Might snatch it for you in lead. I don't know why. 
I'm probably, probably off. And then honestly, I don't know if Manville for me for supporting for you. I don't know why. I just feel like she has that bitch energy that you like. Maybe, <laughs> perhaps. Brandon, I'm going to go with Margot Robbie as well for you. I don't know. I feel like you might dig that. And then supporting. Oh, I'm going to go with Manville as well. I don't know. I just get that vibe. Well, we're on a Manville train, so let's see how these pair up. All right. Your supporting actress nominees of 2017 were... Mary J. Blige. Well, let's start with her. Leslie Manville as Cyril in Phantom Thread. This is her sole nomination so far going into Oscar night. She only had two nominations uh, from the precursors. BAFTA and the National Society of Film Critics for Best Supporting Actress. In Phantom Thread, again, Leslie plays Cyril, who is the head bitch in charge, assistant to, I wouldn't even say assistant, like she just runs the shit in the very nice English sweatshop run by um, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis's character, who really is in charge of the day-to-day, how shit gets done, um, and isn't afraid to go toe-to-toe with uh, Day-Lewis at all to speak when it comes to speaking your mind. So with that said, Rai, as our guest, take us away. What do you think is of Leslie Menville as Searle in Phantom Thread? I thought she was really good. Personally, I probably wouldn't have nominated her myself 100%. I don't know. There's something about the performance which is good, but it's not great. Um, I wanted more. You know what it is? I want more of her. That's the problem. I felt like I didn't get enough. I know it's supporting actors and everything. I just wanted more of her. And I was hungry just for more of that energy, that BDE. And I just didn't get enough of it. And I just wanted more. That's what it is. Because it's such a good performance, but it didn't like take me to church like some of the other women in this category. That's what I'll say. Well, um, I think Leslie Manville invented teacup acting uh, because (laughs) she is fantastic in this. And um, she holds her little teacup while speaking her little dagger words fabulously. Um, Cyril is not a loquacious person. She's not talkative and she's not someone who's going to, you know, monologue you to death like a lot of other Mm -hmm. supporting juicy roles might. She's someone who is not afraid of the silence and does not feel the need to break the silence, but she's not afraid to speak and speak honestly, especially against um, her brother played by Day-Lewis. Um, she is, I see where Rai is coming from. We're wanting, you want to have more of her and I get that too in a way uh, because I love this character and I really admire this performance. So of course I also want more of her, but she is the seasoning on mm-hmm. this dish. And I feel like there is, in a sense, just enough of her in this movie to where it feels like she is elevating the film and serving her purpose without stealing the spotlight. 
like a lot of um, upstagey supporting turns can do. Um, I kind of relate to this character in a way because I'm also not a very talkative person outside of this podcast. Like I think mm-hmm. most of the talking I ever do in life is right here. And um, usually when I speak or respond to someone in real life, it's like a one sentence thing and I'm not afraid of jabbing with my words if I have to, especially if it'll end a certain conversation. So um, I understand this character a little bit and I really like how she weaponizes the handful of words that she does use. And uh, she has a real quiet power about her. Um, Cyril, I don't know if she's the only character that does this, but she's the only character that I repeatedly notice looks directly into the camera a lot in this movie. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of Anthony Hopkins in A Silence of the Lambs in a way, where she's really taking control of the scene that she's in and um, sort of reminding the audience that she might be a supporting player. She might be secondary to her brother in life, but she's really the one who holds all the cards and she's really the one pulling all the levers behind the scenes. So um, I'm really into this performance and I think Leslie Manville is pitch perfect. I love that she doesn't feel the need to get big when she's saying certain lines that um, other actors might feel the need to say with more volume or say with a pointed finger. Um, She's completely in control and I love it. That is so funny that you brought up how you find yourself almost very much like her because I was going to bring that up exactly in the same way. Um, Let me start with this. I hate everything about Phantom Thread. I think it is one of the worst movies to ever be recognized at the Oscars. I think it's boring as shit. Um, It's one of Paul Thomas Anderson's jumping the gun films. I mean, there's nothing redeemable in this movie whatsoever except for Leslie Manville. She's the only reason why I would watch the film. And even revisiting this, I only watched her scenes because there was no fucking way I was putting myself through this bullshit all over again. Now that that's out of the way, you hit it on the head with Leslie Manville and you. You know, I actually just retweeted your tweet the other day on our on our page when you, <laughs> you had said something about your manager or or you didn't say something about your manager, you had said like, wow, good for them or something along the lines of what happened at work. And I was like, people don't realize that like SAS Brandon exists in the way that SAS Brandon exists. And it's my favorite version of Brandon is SAS Brandon. And everything from the teacup to the way she remarks, you're right. I mean, that is that one worded thing, that's you and that's what she does. And I remember revisiting this because this was the first like I said first time I and only time I revisited this since seeing it the first time and I watched it back and I was like oh my god this is this is him um so Manville is perfect in that manner she's perfect in that manner because again she reminds me of you and and I just think it's great um I was actually I remember going 2017 is interesting because this was a year that we had two really big players who didn't get in that's Hong Chow and um, Holly Hunter. And Manville's nomination seemed to be almost very left field. You know, she only went in with BAFTA. She only went in with National Society of Film Critics. And it almost reminded everyone of Leslie Manville a la 2010 with another year where she only got into BAFTA. Um, so I wonder if this nomination only came from 
essentially a coattail, which I don't like to use as a word, but it just makes sense to me, especially considering you had Chow and Hunter getting in everywhere else. Um, but uh, you know what? Honestly, I'm glad she's here because, like I said, she's, for me, the only reason to ever visit this movie. And I think she's hilarious and I like it. And yeah, she's that head bitch that I love, like Rai said. Um, I fucking dig it. I like this a lot. So that's what I gotta say. <laughs> um, speaking of, though, we have our first question that deals with Phantom Thread. And it actually is from Ronaldo Sosa. How could Vicky Kripes, Kreps, I don't know how to pronounce that name. Vicky, I'm going to say Kripes. How could Vicky Kripes show up out of nowhere, do that, and not get any recognition for it? Um, personally, I don't know what she uh, did. Because, again, yeah. I think this movie is shit. Um, I <laughs> just, I wouldn't have nominated her. So I'm going to pass that along. Uh, 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 I don't like her. I actually have a nickname for her. I call her Becky Crisps. Because I think she's so basic. And she did not deliver for me. And I don't know what she did, but she needs to put that back on the rack and call it a day. Period. Well, I so like what she's doing question. in Phantom Threat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, Vicky. So, um, won't get too much into it because, uh, you know, she's not one of our nominees here. Maybe I'll save that for, you know, another episode. But I do like what she's doing here with the power plays with uh, Day Lewis and all that. But I think um, the answer is in the question. I think it's the fact that she came out of nowhere has a lot to do with um, why she wasn't recognized. There's probably tons of people in the industry who didn't mm-hmm. know her name then and still don't know it now. So given how much of a popularity contest a lot of awards tend to be, especially industry awards, I could see why that is um, part of the reason why she didn't get nominated. I agree. Yeah, there it is. Well, moving along, we have Lori Metcalf as Marion McPherson in Lady Bird. This is her sole nomination so far. Going into Oscar night, she was somewhat of a critic's darling, but couldn't get traction anywhere else as she had nominations from the Golden Globes, BAFTA Critics' Choice, Indie Spirit, and SAG, but then she wins at the LA Film Critics, the National Board of Review, and the National Society of Film Critics. In Lady Bird, again, Lori plays Marion. Um, she is... Uh, she is an over-dramatic mother who seems to always be in a tumultuous fight or just in general tumultuous relationship with her daughter who seems that she wants the best for her but it but at the same time it comes off a little too much and in the end it just it doesn't work itself out the way it needs to I think in a mother daughter or any type of relationship so Brandon start us off with Lori Metcalf as Marion and Lady Bird well um are you guys familiar with there's like a meme that occasionally circles around where it says something along the lines of growing up means um, seeing Robin Williams as the hero in Mrs. Doubtfire and being an adult means seeing Sally Field as the hero in Mrs. Doubtfire. Are you guys familiar with that? No. No. Well, I kind of, while rewatching Lady Bird, was a little bit reminded of it because going back through it the second time, I understand the Metcalf character a little bit better. I see where she's coming from a little bit better. Um, I don't think she's perfect in any way. Um, I think, you know, she struggles a lot just in general. And um, that trickles into 
her mothering and how she communicates or doesn't communicate with her daughter. And um, that translates a lot of the time to not respecting her daughter and her wishes and what she wants to be called and what she wants to do with her life. And um, it, she doesn't support her daughter in the way that she should. And I don't think that's necessarily um, active on her part. Um, I'm trying to find a way to put it that's not condescending, but um, I think she just in general is someone who is dealing with a lot and her mothering is suffering as, as a result of it. And oh. I sympathize with this character a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm, I'll never be a mother or probably even a parent, but I can only imagine to the best of my ability how hard it must be, especially coming from a place of, um, I don't want to say poverty, but they're not always comfortable as a family financially. They're, there's a lot going on and probably a lot that Lady Bird herself doesn't even know about. And um, Laurie Metcalf, I think, really captures that complexity of being a mother who is really trying so hard to keep the household together and to keep everything afloat. And she has a daughter who is rebellious and artistically inclined and wants a quote unquote better life for herself. And I think in a certain sense, the Metcalf character understands that she will probably never be able to financially support her daughter's wishes. And I think that scares her. I think she's afraid of her daughter suffering in the same way that she currently is if she continues down this path. And um, I think Laurie Metcalf really captures this complexity so well of wanting to help someone get trying to be practical and sometimes the um the advice that she gives her comes across very curt and hurtful but she thinks it's helpful because of where she is i feel like i'm talking in circles but i i really dig what laura metcalf is doing i, mm -hmm. I get i sympathize with her so i'm just gonna pass it to rye me too i really love her performance in this i think it was something because i'm not really familiar with her work to be honest besides her performance in Scream 2. <laughs> I've never watched Roseanne. I've never seen anything of hers in theater, like any of her theater work. Um, so I'm not really familiar with her. So it was kind of like introducing myself to what she has done. Um, and so I thought she did a really beautiful job. And I love the dynamic between her and Saoirse Ronan, which we'll get to her later. But I just really like their dynamic and how they work off of each other. Um, I really liked the performance. I thought she did a beautiful job and I could just watch her, you know, be Kurt for hours. I really could. I'm, I'm kind of in the mood to do that, actually. I just want to watch her play Marion forever. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember seeing, this only makes sense for people in Cleveland. I remember seeing Lady Bird in theaters at the Capitol and you know, for those who don't know what that is, the Capitol is a very old-timey, old-school-style movie theater. I mean, you, like, go upstairs to go, go into these the, uh, the, the, the screens and everything. And I remember seeing it with a friend, and we kind of just sat there. 
I oh, I also too. It was it was a, a rememberable uh, film because there was a guy in front of us who kept falling asleep and snoring, and everyone was throwing popcorn at him to wake the fuck up. Outside of that, I we remember see like sitting there and just thinking like it felt like this film was the first time I genuinely related to a high school experience because it felt the most realistic as a film. Um, now, as this performance, I remember like watching it and being like, oh, she's good. Um, and then like all the awards came in and I didn't really understand why. Um, I was like, I mean, she's good, but you know, she's been better. She's, um, uh, you know, Scream 2 was fantastic. I She's hilarious and heartbreaking as Jackie on Roseanne. Um, I just remember not really understanding the love. And then I and then I revisited this a couple of weeks ago when it hit Netflix. And I actually tweeted something out about it because I was watching it. And then it, like, hit me, like, PTSD almost. You know, I've been open with talking about my relationship with my own mother, and this reminded me a lot of it. And, like, I had mentioned, which, you know, I, I could be a hot take, couldn't be a hot take, that people always, when it comes to this lineup, want to talk about the abuse from Alice and Janie's character, which we'll get to. But nobody wants to talk about the abuse that Laurie Metcalf's character puts on Saoirse Ronan's character. Like, there's a scene near the end where... Uh, Marion finds out about the wait list for college and literally forces Sersha's character to beat herself up and tear herself down and say that she's wrong and sorry, even though she has no reason to be. And I'm just think I'm looking at that and I'm relating to that because I've been through that. And I was like, oh my God, like she's a terrible fucking mother. Um, you know, it's it's funny that Brandon mentioned that, that meme because that took me back to when we talked about Almost Famous and I was like, you know, as a kid, we related to, or I related to Kate Hudson. And then as I got older, I was like, oh no, I'm Francis McDormand. This isn't one that I don't think I could do that with because I've seen the effects of what, and experienced the effects of what that does to a kid. And it's not right. And I really loathe this character. And Lori makes it very easy. So I think she does her job well. Um, but, you know, it's, um, I, I viewed this in a whole other way, and I'm glad that I revisited this film, because I really wasn't going to, because I was like, oh, I remember it perfectly. Um, but yeah, it gave me a whole new light and to look into the Marion character. And honestly, I consider her the villain of this film. So Laurie does that really well. She plays a villain very well. I don't know if I would agree with your assessment, but I see where you're coming from. And I respect, you know, your personal experience and how you're tying that in to how you're reading the character in the movie. Um, I guess I don't come from us that same, you know, place, of course, because we're two very different, we're two different people. But um, yeah, I guess uh, my experience doesn't inform my assessment of the character in that way, but I, I see where you're coming from. Um, I don't know if I would consider it abuse. Um, I think she's just a troubled person and uh struggling as a mother and she's not always responding or speaking in the most um, uplifting or respectful way to her daughter. Um, I, I can see why you might equate that with abuse, but um, I'm not sure. Uh, 
but she's definitely not perfect. She's a definitely she's definitely a flawed person who has a who has a lot on her plate. So um, yeah, it's a, there's a lot going on with this character uh, that really deserves breaking down. Definitely, mm-hmm. agreed. Now, now we don't have a question about Laurie specifically, but it, it is this category with this film. So I'm gonna pop this in here. Um. This is from Jenny Schmidt, 44. Do you think Beanie Feldstein had any shot at a supporting actress now? Right? No. <laughs> no. I love her in this movie. I loved her as Julie, but girl, come on. Let's not act like it's gonna it was gonna happen. And she was very good. I loved her performance. I personally probably would have put her in my lineup, but no, she there was no way. No. Mm-mm. Next. He's kidding. <laughs> kidding. Brandon? Uh, uh, sure. At the Kids' Choice Awards, maybe. Um, Ooh. <laughs> I, I don't see an Oscar nomination for this, even though I do like her a lot in this movie. I think she's very funny. But, um, Same. But supporting, best supporting actress of the year? Nah, not really. I mean, let's just be honest. The only thing that she gave us in this film was the iconic line, it's the titular role. So... Right. You know, yeah. no, she was never getting in for supporting actress, you know, at all. But I mean, we have seen worse nominations, so you never. I mean, really, anything could have happened, but no, I don't see it actually happening. Yeah, it wouldn't. It wouldn't have offended me, but it would have confused me a little bit, to be honest. I would have been yeah. like, um, yeah, it would have been like a good for her moment, but that's about yeah, it. that's about yeah. it. I I would have been like, okay, girl, work. Well, speaking of worst nominations, we had Mary J. Blige as Florence Jackson in Mudbound. This is, her, <laughs> this is her sole acting nomination, but her first of two nominations because she was also nominated the same night for original song. Um, uh-huh. In uh, my, oh, going into Oscar night, she had a Golden Globe nom, Critics' Choice nom, LA Film Critics nom, SAG nom. They had to fill this spot somehow, I guess. Um, <laughs> Mudbound, I'm not really sure what she does, but she has a point where she eats a candy bar or gives a candy bar to her son or someone and tells her son to come home safe, and I don't know what the fuck happened here. So, Ryan, um, start us off with Mary J in Mudbound. Wow, there's so much to say about nothing that she did, right? <laughs> um I mean, I don't think that she was bad or anything. It's not like she did anything horrible. I mean, her performance was just there. And I yeah. think people nominated her because she transformed into something that wasn't Mary J. Blige, I think. That's my reasoning, I think, is what for what they did, what the voting bodies did. They're like, oh, it's Mary J. Blige. Um, she transforms into this motherly role, something that they hadn't seen from her, I think, or something. I don't know. That's why I'm not making this up as I go. Personally, I wasn't living for it. It wasn't giving me life. But, I don't know, this year seems like a lot of motherly roles, in my opinion, right, that got nominated in this category. just seems like they were really living for that. Good mothers, bad mothers, okay mothers. I would put her in the okay mother category. She's fine. Um, I don't know, I wasn't living for this nomination, but I don't think it was, like, I wasn't, like, so offended that it was, like, gonna, like, ruin my life. I mean, what I will say is, I know this is two years later, but, I mean, if J- Mary J. Blige can get nominated, why couldn't J-Lo get nominated? I'm sorry. I just, I don't get it. They're, like, singers, you know? Right. J-Lo, you know, auto-tuned, but still a singer. 
like why couldn't they i like i don't know why i'm shading j-lo but also praising her at the same time this is how my mind works just roll with it i just understand the correlation between like how mary j blige can give like a dramatic performance and then j-lo gives one as well and they just can't recognize it it just didn't make any sense to me um but she's fine mary j blige is fine but she doesn't blow me away that's all i will say it's a nice way of saying it yeah uh speaking of good for her nominations this is kind of one of them i think yeah um, she is sort of the opposite of showy in this performance and in some ways that's a good thing um but it, that also comes as a double-edged sword because then you have to wonder well what was she doing you know um there's a, a heaviness to this character that i think she bears pretty well um, this is a character who has lived through decades of pain and torment, and I think she um, projects that pretty well without really shouting it from the rooftops. So I don't think she's bad necessarily in this movie. She is sort of, I think, fitting the the role her character fits in the puzzle as a puzzle piece and the jigsaw puzzle that is this movie, and it makes sense. Um, so I don't really have any negatives per se when it comes to her performance, because I think it on the whole works, but is it one of the five best supporting performances of the year? Uh, that, that's a bit of a reach for me because I mean, like I said, even though she's not doing very much and, or because just because she's not showing a lot, um, doesn't necessarily mean that she's doing nothing, but then again, she doesn't really draw your eye ever for me she's always kind of like what rye was saying she's often just kind of there um reminding you i guess of where this character and this family have come from and all that they've endured but um that's about it it's uh it's it just it works and that's about all for me so i guess i'll yeah. throw it over to the next person now yeah um it seems that every couple of years we get at least one nomination that really doesn't make any sense for someone that really doesn't do anything. You know, going over, just off of my head, going over what we've done so far in this show, you know, in, this, in what, 77, it was Melinda Dillon for Close Encounters. In 86, it was Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio for The Color Purple. Um, I mean, I can just go on and on. Color um, of Money. Or, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, The Color of Money. <laughs> the Color Purple was 85. And totally different movie. Um, uh, thank you, Brandon. Uh, and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I was like, we love work. work. <laughs> I was like, work. Um, that, that, that's what I get for trying to pull that out of my ass and not write it down. Um, there seems to be a big confusion that I have that this got in when, again, performances like Hong Chow didn't get in, Holly Hunter, even fucking Tiffany Haddish for Girls Trip didn't get in here. But Mary J. Blige does, uh, no sis, does not work for me. Um, you know, uh, I like her, some of her music, but that's, you know, I can't really speak to this because there's nothing here. Um, you know, most, most of the time she's wearing these big blacked out, like Dr. Evil Manhattan scientist glasses and so you can't really see her express anything. And then when she is delivering these lines, it's it's very monotone. Like she's come back to me, okay? Like come back to me 
all the way. And it's it just, I don't get it. I mean, what was this campaign for this film that it got her this far and all of these nominations? I just, I don't get it. Um, so yeah, I'm good. Those sunglasses um, are an interesting note. I've actually always wondered why Dee Reese and Mary J. Blige made that choice because it it does shut you off from the character. When you can't see a character's eyes, especially for so so long a time as she wears them on screen, it's almost like a rejection of the audience of letting them in. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a negative because I think it could work as a as an artistic choice. I'm just wondering what the um, the decision behind that was. I don't know if I've ever seen or read D. Reese or Mary J. Blige respond to that. I'm sure they have. I'm sure someone has asked. But um, I'd be really curious to see where that choice came from. Uh, yeah, it, well. I mean, if, if you know, we ever get the chance to talk to D. or Mary, I would definitely ask that. But I don't know. I'm just not very enthusiastic about this. Like, this is one of those few, very rare times that, like, I kind of wish we didn't have to talk about an actor just because it's, there's nothing to talk about. You know what I mean? Yeah, it just doesn't, there's, like, not much there for me. And, I mean, I don't know, like, I also, this sounds so annoying to you, to me probably, and to everyone else probably at home listening. Her her dresses that she wore on the red carpet were so boring to me, or they just were not cute, that I was like, you know what, like, I'm happy for you, but, like, if you're going to come to these things and show up and slay, like, at least, you know, do it better. Um I will say that if this gave us anything, though, I do want to praise her supporting turn on Netflix's The Umbrella Academy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what she did there was actually Emmy-worthy supporting actress work, and that was fucking great. But this is not so great. So Yeah, it was just okay. It was just (laughs) there. It was fine. I mean, I, I like everybody that you mentioned, Joey, as like a backup is like who I would nominate. Yeah. Like. I would rather have had these women take the spots that we're going to be talking about, in my opinion. I would yeah. rather be talking about them. Well, so we don't keep sounding redundant, though, because I think we're all pretty much on the same page with this one. I'm going to move us along to this year's winner, Allison Janney, as Lavana Harding in I, Tanya. This is her soul nomination. The, so far, we got a lot of soul noms. Um, she won everything under the sun. She, this was hers to lose. Uh, she uh-huh. wins the Golden Globe, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, SAG, and Spirit Award for Best Supporting. And the only nomination she got where she didn't win was the National Society of Film Critics. In uh, I, Tanya, again, Allison plays Lavana. She is the determined mother from hell. She is physically, mentally, emotionally. She's pretty much every abuse under the sun except for sexually abuse um, that we're aware of. <laughs> here in this film. Um, so she really, in her mind, wants the best for her daughter, but it, it, in reality, will stop at nothing for her to succeed, even if that costs her her own relationship with her daughter. Um, Brandon, take us away. I really enjoy Allison Janney in this. Um, it's crazy to me that this is, you know, her only nomination, because she's been someone who's been in the film and television world for a few decades now. And um, I think she's a whole lot of fun in this movie. Even though she's abusive, it's really weird. She rides a very tricky line, I think pretty well, because this movie, you know, when it's all said and done, is at its core a dark comedy that is, you know, putting a very twisted spin 
on um, where Tanya Harding came from. And um, Lavana is kind of hilarious in a lot of this movie. Um, the lines that she has where she'll just like call someone a, a dumb fuck or a cunt or all sorts of horrible things, a lot of times in these little asides or throwaway comments. And um, she's a bold person who never really lets you forget that she's in the movie uh, because she never really lets the people she's sharing a scene with forget that she's in it. Um, like when she's trying to tell the, um, the Julianne Nicholson character how to teach ice skating. Um, you know, she's a, she's a horrible person and she's somehow a horrible person that I really enjoy. And I have a really hard time like justifying that in a sense because she is so awful. And I don't wanna give off the impression that I'm condoning necessarily what she's doing. Um, it's, it's a performance that I think Alice and Janney seems to be having a lot of quote unquote fun as an actor exploring. Um, I'm sure she wouldn't um, defend uh, what Lavana does or says either, but um, it's a juicy role for sure. And I can see why so many people were um, grasping onto it in award season. Um, it's also, you know, one of the showiest roles that Allison Janney has given us as of late, and that's not showing necessarily in a bad way because mm -hmm. that's the nature of this character. Um, but I don't think the movie really defends her either. Um, I don't think we're supposed to necessarily sympathize with her in the way that we might with Marion in Lady Bird. I think we are supposed to see her as a despicable person doing horrible things. Alice and Janney and the director just find a way to give it this sort of black humor edge that I think makes the movie a little bit more interesting and flavorful than it could have been in another storyteller and actor's hands. So um, it's a very interesting performance that I, I really dig. So, uh, Rai, how do you feel about it? I really enjoyed her performance. I thought she did a really great job. Um... I think her little nuances and her little quirks that she put into the character were really, really thought out. And she really studied th this woman who is a monster, but she's entertaining. You know, I agree with you about, you know, not condoning bad behavior, but she's so entertaining. And you you just laugh at what she says sometimes because you're just like, this is unreal. Her filter is just so unhinged. And um, Allison Janney is just a, a, a gifted actress and she's just one of our greatest character actresses, in my opinion. So it was nice to see her get recognized. What I will say on the flip side, though, did I think that she deserved to win every single award under the sun? Not necessarily. But I think she did a really great job with with the character and, you know, her chemistry with Margot Robbie is, again, like I compare it to Metcalf and Ronan, they have really good chemistry. They really balanced each other, you know, balanced each other out really well, I thought. Um, I love this character. <laughs> I don't love what she does. Let me just asterisk mm -hmm. that comment. But I love this character because she's so brass and she weirdly reminds me of me with the way that she talks because I, I have been known to just kind of say what the fuck I want to say. And I mean, that's Lavana for you. And you know what? I think she's fucking hilarious and 
she weirdly again i see my own mother in that which pulls back to my own experience between this and ladybird i'm like oh god i was hit from both sides in this fucking category um i will say <laughs> she probably has one of my favorite moments in film history at all in this movie and it's probably one of the few lines that I think any actor would ever want for their character is when there's a certain point where she like dips out of the movie but right before she does she like break you know she's in that interview part of the movie she's like well my fucking character arc is just disappearing out of the shit or something like that (laughs) and I was like oh my god because I'm like if that's not me because (laughs) I'm like Give me the attention. Um, I think that's just one of the most brilliant, brilliant moments in film history. And again, one of the moments that I think any actor would ever want to say. Because who doesn't want it all about them? You know what I mean? Um, with that said, I, I, I kind of agree with Rye here with the did she deserve to win every precursor under the sun? I'm not so sure. But I think that's mainly for the fact that I think these award, I mean, we especially this last season, um, award shows can get so predictable and redundant when the same people win everything going into it. So it kind of like keeps the suspense, you know, I, I just, I, I, I earn or I yearn for the days of like the 2000 supporting, uh, uh, precursors where everyone won something except for Marsha Gay Harden and Marsha Gay Harden like sweeps in and wins because you're like it literally can be anybody so I'm not okay with anyone winning everything but that's just in general I don't know if that has anything to do with Jannie as Lavana. Um, but yeah I think this is great I think it's hilarious I also don't understand the hate that this win gets it's, it's really weird but I think mostly that comes from the people who are so team Metcalf that this becomes like a red state, blue state type of win because you're either all the way for Metcalf or you're all the way for Janet. You know what I mean? Like, there's no in between. I think part of that also comes from the fact that this was a sweep. I think yeah. with a sweep comes boredom. And yeah. I think uh, people wanted, you know, some flavor in this race. Um, when it be kind of like this very last, most recent Oscar season, all four of the winners pretty much swept everything. And after, at a certain point, it became super boring. In my opinion, it was before, it was boring when the nominations were announced. But yeah. I think that's a similar thing going on here because she somehow managed to get just about every single precursor under the sun. I think that's where some of the ire comes from because people kind of roll their eyes a little bit. And like, really, there were other performances this year, well, not just Allison Gianni, even if she is very good in this film. Right, yeah. and I'll and I'll, and I'll agree to that to an extent, but then you also don't see that same reaction from like when Natalie Portman swept for Black Swan. Um, you don't get that. I mean, when that first happened, I'm I, I guess there was like a few. Oh my god, this should have been a Net Bennings year, but like you look back on that, and everyone pretty much agrees with that sweep. Um, I would say like the same for Charlize Theron and Monster, or even this year with Renee Zellweger and in, in, in Judy. It's uh, yeah, we were bored, but I don't. There's something weird about this performance that gets a lot of hate, and I don't. I, I honestly would say it is because Metcalf is here. I don't know yeah. if you would agree with that. I mean, you have two TV actresses. Well, not t- no, not just TV actresses, but you have TV titans here. You know, yeah. who are in their first nominations in films. 
that did very well at the Oscars in terms of you know nominations. I well, not amazing, but did pretty well considering their genre comedy. They're they're comedies in a way. You know, a lot of people you know wouldn't call them typical comedies, but they had a lot of hurdles to overcome, and they both delivered. And so, you have two really different and weird fan bases going at each other, and so that's probably what happened. And that's why people are probably still upset because people were so strong for either one. Mm-hmm. I liked them both so much that it didn't really matter who won. But mm-hmm. I usually yeah. just like to see things broken up a little bit um, in terms yeah. of, you know, who wins. That's just really what it is. I mean, she deserves that statuette in her house. She worked for it. She earned it, you know? And, like, she's had a long-ass career. Mm. She deserved to win at some point. Yeah, and to build off of what you were saying a little bit, um, they have similar-ish narratives, I mean, they were TV titans. Both Lori Metcalf and Allison Janney have like three or four Emmys for the work that they've done on TV. And they've been character actresses for the most part for almost the same amount of time. And so they kind of had a similar narrative going into their Oscar night where they were both, you know, experiencing their first taste of Oscar nomination, whatever. And uh, I could see how the two, even though they had two different fan bases, their fan bases were craving the same thing and the story <coughs> would have been, mm-hmm. you know, the same for either win, sort of, you know? I agree. Well, we answered both Mr. Reese's Cups and Jakey Emmert's questions just now, so I don't have to really go over them, but we do have from Lulu Del Rey. It's crazy to me that this is Allison Janney's first nomination. What would you personally have nominated her for prior to I, Tanya? The first thing that pops into my mind is Drop Dead Gorgeous, but pretty much I could fill up the entire supporting actress category in 99 with all Drop Dead Gorgeous ladies. But that's mm. the first thing that comes to my mind. Juno comes to mind for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I think it's because I just think her one-liners in that movie are so funny. I mean, I probably wouldn't put her in my five, but oh, that one, I guess. But I also loved her in Jopra Gorgeous, so maybe I should just stick with that. I'm just going to go with Juno. Why not? I'm just going to stick with it. Yeah, and to name a third one that we haven't said yet, um, she is very good in a little movie called Away We Go from, like, 2008 or 2009. It's a little tiny role. Don't, she's only in, like, a couple scenes. Um, that's sort of the nature of the movie. But um, it's this little Sam Mendes film uh, that he did in between two bigger films. And it's a it's a comedy, and she's very funny in it. And uh, if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. Mm-hmm. Anything else on... Um, uh, shit. Uh, Alice and Jamie? No. So I... <laughs> I made a mistake here in my next actress um, for Octavia Spencer. So just like the photo that I posted for us, I'm noticing going over my notes, I gave all of her info for hidden figures. So you're gonna have to give me a second because I, you know, I'm very professional right now. Um, okay, so in The Shape of Water, Octavia gets her third of three nominations. She plays Zelda Fuller. Um, going into Oscar night, she had a nomination from Golden Globes, BAFTA, uh, this is where I'm not prepared because I did the wrong one, Critics' Choice, and SAG. I'm pretty sure I got them all. Let me just double check. Yada, yada, yada. No, not SAG. Just kidding. Just kidding. There's no SAG nomination there. Okay, there we go. In, uh, sorry, in, uh, 
The Shape of Water, again, Octavia plays, plays Zelda, who is kind of the voice of the movie as the main character, which we'll get to in a little bit, um, played by Sally Hawkins, doesn't have one. Um, she is kind of the audience in a way. She's she's really got her head on the shoulders. She's thinking about the long run. She's thinking about the implications of the actions and is there to really push the story along in protection of what's going on in uh, support and all around, you know, the best friend role, which Octavia Spencer does really well. Um, Rye, what do you think of Octavia Spencer as Zelda in <laughs> The Shape of Water? Honestly, I think this performance gets a lot of hate from people. Um, I think people think that Octavia Spencer is very one note, which I would tend to really disagree on. I actually think all of her nominations that she's had and her win are deserved, in my opinion. I know that may be a little controversial to some people who are going to be listening to us, but I really liked this performance. I thought she did a really great job, and she's so gifted, and she's so... um, To me, she captures... um, I, she captures my attention every time I see her. She just has this energy about her that I really, really love. And I think she does a really great job at selling her role in the film and her interactions with Sally Hawkins are beautiful. And um, I really love the performance. I don't think it's a bad thing that she, because people are like, oh, she's the voice. And, you know, that really pisses me off. And I'm just like, I'm like, she's so gifted. Just let her, let her thrive is what I think. I think people just give her too much shit. I really don't understand. Something I see a lot. Yeah, I think Octavia Spencer is fantastic, um, just in general. But I also enjoy her in this movie. Um, This is a nomination that gets a lot of flack, like uh, Rai was saying. Um, I think a lot of people think that Octavia Spencer is sort of phoning it in a little bit, that she kind of has this sort of, for lack of a better phrase, that sassy best friend role. And um, I think there's distinction uh, between this role and the other ones that she's done. I I don't think this is all the same like cookie cutter type of performance. Um, She is, she gives this movie a lot of humor. Um, This movie can get very dark because that's just the nature of this kind of movie, uh, dealing with, you know, queer love and hate and Mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff. And um, she is able to, leaven you know the tension a little bit and uh offers some laughter throughout and i think she's just a whole bunch of fun Uh, whenever she's on screen um she sort of reminds you that this movie is not entirely dark and um full of blood and hatred um like some other characters would make you think um so i don't know if it's necessarily you know my favorite octavia spencer performance or if i would not nominate it myself if given a fresh, clean ballot to just, you know, list off names. But um, I don't knock this nomination per se, um, but I don't love it either. I'm kind of in between on it, but um, I don't think it deserves the hate that it gets. I'll put it that way. I would agree with both of you. I don't think this nomination deserves at all the hate it gets. And actually, I don't know if I would agree with that this is her most hated. I think last week with Hidden Figures is the one that people really are like, uh, um, on, I actually really enjoy this almost too much. Um, I think Same. she's, yeah, I think she's a lot of fun here. 
Um, you know, she she shows up to do her job, and she's for me what I leave watching The Shape of Water remembering the most. Um, she, if you look at Octavius, which at this point for the listeners we've talked about all three again. No, this is the first time uh-huh. we uh, are talking about her for us. <coughs> so I, I I think if you look at all three of her nominations, she's got this shtick of yes what brandon said like the sassy best friend um but you know what if you got it flaunt it and i think she does it really well here um i i would like to put credit where credit is due you know octavia spencer did two first with this nomination she was the first uh black actress to be consecutively nominated number one two years back to back but then she also was the first black actress to, after winning, get two nominations. So this is a very historic nomination as well. So two claps for Octavia. Um, I, there we go. Um, I, I like it. I, I like it. I like it. I like it. And I wouldn't be mad if they ever decided to do a spinoff with this character. I'd watch it. Yeah, I'm not I sure agree. what that would be about, but that'd be a lot of fun. I would, I would pay a lot of money to see it. I would, I would pay a lot of money to watch that. I would, to be honest. Yeah. I would. Well, we Let's... don't have a question about Octavia Spencer. We just have this. From next to the aisle, Octavia Spencer was robbed. That's oh. it. Oh, okay. Um, well, no, but <laughs> we love your question, sweetie. Thank you. <laughs> Your statement. Um, we do, though, have a question about this lineup from Andrew Carden. Did Sandy Martin, Sam Rockwell's mama, in Three Billboards deserve a supporting actress nom? Um, even reading that for me, I still don't know who she is. Like, that's how much she doesn't leave an impression. And don't get me wrong, there's some people we've talked about who don't leave an impression. But if I can't even remember who you're talking about, even after you specifically mention it, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say that question leaves me nauseous. Yeah, I'm just gonna say no. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm. All right. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that, those Sorry, are Andrew. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, right. our uh, nominees for best actress in a leading role were Sally Hawkins, The Shape of Water. Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Margot Robbie, I Time You. Saoirse Ronan, Lady Bird. Meryl Streep, The Post. All right, let's start with our winner, uh, Frances McDormand, winning for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. This is her fifth of five nominations, uh, making this her most recent, and it's also her second of two wins. So going into this, she was, for the most part, the frontrunner as she takes the Golden Globe for Drama, BAFTA, SAG, Critics' Choice, and the Indie Spirit Award. Uh, she is nominated with the National Society of Film Critics, the Dorian Awards, the Saturn Awards, and the AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards, which is the only precursor that really matters. Mama. 
In Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Frances McDormand plays Mildred, a woman with a bone to pick with her local police department. So, Rye, how do you feel about Frances in Three Billboards? I honestly really like her in this movie. I know people are going to probably throw tomatoes at me or, you know, say how come Chief Willoughby, but I really like this performance. And would I have picked it as the winner? I'm not sure. I don't really think it would be my choice per se, but I think she really delivered. Um, emotionally, I, I really can, I just felt her character. I liked her like no, I don't give a shit attitude. I liked her, just her brass. And um, I really was impressed by her in this. And I'm not saying, I'm not really a huge Frances McDormand fan. She doesn't give me life. Because there are those Frances McDormand gays who just, you know, are like, yes, queen, yes, you know, you give me life, honey. And I'm like, I get it, but, like, it doesn't give me, like, life life. But um, I really enjoyed her in this, to be honest. I thought she did a really great job, considering uh, it was a, well, her last time she was nominated was, like, 12 years prior or something like that. Mm-hmm. I would also like to, I would like to understand why people hate this movie so much. I think this is a great movie. Um, I definitely did not understand why this movie was hated on the way it was. Um, There's this weird, it's like, I don't know, between this and like Octavia Spencer's hate, there's this weird underlying like tone that I just don't get about this season. Um... I think it's hilarious. I think it, it's got a great message and it, you know, it delivers mm-hmm. on what it wants to. It's funny because uh, a while ago I had shared a status that I had sh- uh, done on Facebook about this movie uh, when I first saw this, because I saw this in theaters when it first, uh, the weekend it came out. And I, it was like, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, McDormand's great. It'll be a nice return. Because this movie I think came out in November. So obviously it was before all the nominations had come out. You know, it'll be a nice return for McDormand. I don't think she'll win, but I can see her winning in comedy actress, which I I, I think you said what? She was she won drama? Yeah. Yep. That was odd to me because I think that should have been the other category. Um, but I also remember saying, Yeah, Sam Rockwell's fine. He definitely won't win, but you know, it'll you know, he's great. Um, definitely wrong on both turns, but obviously the Rockwell is for a whole other conversation. I think what McDormand here is doing is pure McDormandism. It's, it's, it's hilarious. It's serious. It's fun. It makes you think it makes you cry. I mean, it is just all around great. You know, the only thing that I say, what the fuck to in this movie is whatever the hell Abby Cornish had decided to do with her voice. But um, yeah, I like this. I don't understand why people don't like this one. It doesn't make sense to me. And you know what? I love Frances McDormand. I mean, I gave her the Oscar for Almost Famous. Um, and I don't hate that she has a second one, even if her first one was for Fargo. Um, so yeah, I'm all about it. As a performance, I really like what Frances McDormand is doing here. Um, this is pretty much quintessential Frances McDormand, as a lot of her nominations tend to be. This movie is putting a lot of her strengths on display. This sort of um, gritty, no-nonsense um, type of character that she um, really thrives um, with playing. Um, she balances the dark humor pretty well and um, the seriousness of what this movie is trying to be pretty well. Um, 
I don't care for the movie as a whole. I think it's a little bit misguided. Um, not sure how deep I want to go into that, but um, I think Frances McDormand as a performer is pretty solid. Um, she's one of the only reasons that I would really consider wanting to rewatch this movie is just to watch her. Um, because of all of the nominations that really give us, you know, quote unquote, quintessential Frances McDormand, this is one that I think really delivers on it. Um, yeah, I'm not sure where to go, but um, I really like what she is doing as a performer. Heard. Yeah, no I, I feel you. We have yeah. no questions on her, really? Yeah, I was surprised. I was, I was just going to say we have no questions on her. We actually only have questions about Street, Ronan, and Robbie. So, oh, yeah, I was surprised about that. No one wants uh, us to talk about McDormand any further. They're hating ass bitches. <laughs> That's what I mean. This gets some weird ass hate. I mean, I think the movie, like Brandon said, maybe a little bit misguided a little bit. Like, it's a little maybe tone deaf, a li- just ever so slightly. Mm. Just, a li- just a little bit. Mm. <laughs> Shady Brandon, I love it. <laughs> I, highly recommend seeking, I highly recommend seeking out criticism written by black critics. Um, but you know what I'm saying, right? It's a little tone deaf, right? Like the a little writing. bit is the part that I have a, the issue with. It is actually oh, really saying, tone deaf. Oh, she's saying big. She's saying big tone deaf. Okay, mom. I think if I remember, Ira Madison wrote a pretty good mm. piece. I believe it was when he wrote for the Daily Beast still, and he and Sasha Stone got into a huge thing on social media, if I remember correctly. <laughs> and um, I, oh God, I'm pretty sure it was him. So um, highly recommend seeking that out. Um, of course, I. A black critic would be able to put it more eloquently than I can, uh, seeing it through a different set of eyes. But um, the whole notion that the whole setup doesn't make sense as this movie is cast, this mm. idea that her daughter's murder would go unsolved because the police department is racist. Her daughter was white. If this police department was racist, they would absolutely want to solve the murder of a white little girl. It doesn't make sense that it would go unsolved for that reason. Also, this movie likes to pretend that it's progressive and dealing with race issues, and yet there aren't really any actors of color in this movie. And the couple that there are, can you remember their names or the actors that played them? I no. Mean, they're, they're kind of used, I believe this is the term, if it wasn't Ira Madison, it was someone else, said that the actors of color that are in this movie are treated as props and not characters. And um, a simple solution to fixing this movie would, for one thing, have it be directed by someone who's not Martin McDonough. And another thing would be to recast this, for example, put Audra McDonald in this role and make the murder a black little girl that this racist police department doesn't want to solve and give her a reason to fight back against this police department that is that doesn't give a shit about this black child who's been murdered and the family mm. that she comes from. So, yeah, this movie is tone deaf and there are some very... They're really simple solutions when you break it down, but they're simple solutions that would completely change this film. You know what I mean? So um, that's just a little bit right there off the top of my head. Um, highly recommend finding pieces written by black critics who could who could explain it much deeper and much more eloquently than I can. Yeah. So there's just a couple of things right there. I, I, I just want to go off of this. I'm not disagreeing with you at all, so please don't feel like I'm going here with this. Um, first of all, yes, but Audra McDonald in anything. Can we just make that a, a, a fucking thing? Put her in anything and everything. Um, I, I do agree with the props part. I think that is a solid point, but in the film specifically, it's mentioned that the cops aren't 
uh, solving the crime because they're racist. The cops are aren't solving the crime because they're too busy beating up black people. I I mean that's just in the film. I mean it's mentioned. Mentioned, um, but do we yeah. see it? So it um, Francis, not really. Francis McDormand mentions that they're not solving the crime because they're too busy beating up black people. I think in that form it's racist, yes, but it's not because her daughter was white. So I agree with you, but I just want to point that out there because that was her reasoning behind putting up the billboards. Yeah, and it's reasoning that I don't buy. That's okay. I uh-huh. just wanted to put that put that out there. Well, next we have Sally Hawkins nominated for The Shape of Water. This is her second of two nominations, having previously been up for Blue Jasmine a few years prior. Um, going into this, she was a bit of a critic's darling as she takes LA film critics, uh, Kansas City film critics, and the National Society of Film Critics. And she also wins the Dorian Award, which I just like to throw out because it's a queer um, group of people. And she's also nominated with uh, the Golden Globes in Drama and at BAFTA, SAG, Critics' Choice, and the Saturn Awards, which is a genre um, awards body. So I'd like to throw that one out there, too. Um, in The Shape of Water, Sally Hawkins plays Eliza, a mute custodian who befriends and falls in love with an imprisoned aquatic creature with a great ass. So, um, Joey, how do you feel about Sally Hawkins in The Shape of Water? I really like her in this. I was actually, I remember the day that I saw this, I had actually knocked out four movies in the theater at once um, in a single day. And this was one of the first ones I had seen that day. And I was actually only dreading Hawkins for some reason. I just didn't think that I would enjoy her in this. And I left it completely wrong about my what I was expecting. Um, I thought she was great. I thought it was heartwarming. I thought it was really sad. I thought it was beautiful to watch this character who normally in a society wouldn't find love anywhere because that's essentially how society treats people with disabilities is that they're just that. They're just a person with disability. They're not there for anything else, which is super sad. And I, and I love that it was not that. I love that she brought humanity and she brought a realistic life to this essentially fictional character. Um, And in the end, it was just all about love and it was all about doing the right thing. And I think Hawkins, you know, we look at other performances that we've talked about, or I think actually, correct me if I'm wrong. No, well, no, I guess we did talk about um, The Miracle Worker, but is there anyone else outside of Holly Hunter that we talked about who is doesn't speak i can't think of one right now um samantha morton sweeten lowdown oh, or no yes I know. yes okay. okay there we go there's another one i think you know between like if you're gonna play uh, a character who is deaf mute i think it can be tricky because at that point you're really relying on your 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 uh expressions and you're really relying on your body language and i Honestly, if you would have told me that Sally Hawkins could actually speak and, and, and hear, I wouldn't have believed you because I think she's that good. I think she's really good here. Right. Honestly, I really loved this performance and I really was not the biggest Sally Hawkins fan. I thought her first nomination to me really upset me and it really put me in a bad place. Just kidding. It was just all right. Um, I thought she was amazing. I love her in this movie and I saw the movie three times in theaters because it gave me life she gave me life um 
and her performance is so strong and her mannerisms and um, the way she doesn't have to vocalize anything. But I mean, there's certain when, when she oh, there's that scene um, where she's where she's getting really really like you know mad at I think Michael Shannon, and she kind of leaves his office and she looks like she's she looks like she's like saying F you, but also kind of being comical about it. I think she does like a gesture to him, like F you or something. I forgot what she did. She did like a gesture that was, um, it was so powerful that I like left the theater thinking about that like multiple times. Just like her, she just really, her character was, it, it was iconic. And she gave me life, period. Yeah, I really love everything about this movie, to be honest. Um, I, I loved that this is the movie that won Best Picture. Like, when you look at this movie, it does not look like a movie that wins Best Picture. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a genre film with a monster in it. Uh, yeah. The production design is top-notch. The art direction is outstanding. Um, the performances are great. Uh, Sally Hawkins, especially. Um, I think this is a well-deserved nomination. She is so captivating and expressive in this role. Um, I'm pretty sure she's not deaf. I think she's just mute in the film. Um, mm. just, I just Did not, I make that mistake? I think you said deaf mute. I'm pretty sure she's not. I think she can. She has the ability to hear. Uh, she's just um, not able to speak. My apologies. So that's okay. I just wanted to clarify that. Um, yeah, I think she's stellar here. Uh, she really draws you in as um, an audience member. Um, she really gives it her all and performs with her entire body. And um, she makes you feel things. It's um, that type of performance where you want her and this creature. Um, does, does he have a name? I can't recall the, um, the monster in captivity. I can't remember. I but, don't remember. Um, maybe he doesn't, I'm not sure. But um, she's great. Uh, she makes you want them to succeed, to find their romance, to escape. And you feel for her when it's a time of crisis and uh, you think he's gonna die or she's gonna get captured or all of the above. It's a performance that really runs the gamut of um, emotions from top to bottom. And um, I think it's lovely. Uh, I'm not sure what else to say without just, you know, gushing on it. But um, I like everything about this movie, to be honest. Well, there's one little note I have, but it has nothing to do with Sally Hawkins. But um, yeah, I really dig it. Um, you're right, by the way. I did say deaf mute, and I, again, want to apologize. I think that's just because I mentioned the miracle worker first. And I was thinking yeah. Patty Duke. I had a feeling you were just carrying the idea through. I didn't think you were, like, slurring or anything. Yeah, no, you're fine. So um, next we have Margot Robbie and I, Tanya. This is her first of two nominations. Uh, going into this, she wins a Critics' Choice Award for comedy. So I, I realized while doing my little homework for this that the Critics' Choice Awards has a just general category for actress and actor, and then they have specifically comedy, which, I, which is interesting because they don't have a drama component. It's just, I don't know, it's weird. Uh, especially considering one of her nominations is in the general Critics' Choice Award uh, for lead actress. So a little interesting thing that Critics' Choice does. But um, going into this, she only wins that Critics' Choice Award for comedy, but she is nominated with the Golden Globes for comedy, BAFTA, SAG, the general Critics' Choice nomination, 
uh, the Gotham Awards, the Indie Spirit, and the Dorian Awards. Um, and I, Tanya, Margot Robbie plays Tanya Harding in this film that's a bit of a rags-to-riches story until it really isn't anymore. So, um, Rai, how do you feel about Margot in I, Tanya? I was happy to see her get this nomination. I thought it was deserved. Is it my favorite performance of this lineup? I'm going to go on a limb and say no. Actually, I can just say no. My God. No. <laughs> no. I really liked her in it, though. I thought she did a great job, and she had to play Tanya at uh, different stages of her life, you know? She had to play, like, a teenager version, which I thought was interesting to see her, you know, look a little, you know, rough. And it's hard to make Margot Robbie look ugly, I think. I'm not saying Tanya Harding's ugly, but I feel like you had to, like, make her a little more... Um, Less glamorous. Uh, unglamorous. That's the word. She had to be a little scrappy. You know, and Margot Robbie is not one I would associate with the word scrappy. So she really had a lot to work with. And, I mean, the writing was sharp for her. So she had a lot of things to play with. And, you know, she has to tell her own story, you know, like a, almost like breaking, you know, like she's like telling everybody, the audience, what she's going through at certain parts of the film. And I thought she did a really great job with that. But it wasn't my favorite performance. And, um, but I really liked it. I'm not going to say that I didn't. It just wasn't my favorite. Yeah, that's what I'll say. Yep, that's it. Joey? So I really, really like this. I, um, I think what she's doing here is just pitch perfect full circle-wise. You know, I, I talk about those actors who get, um, who get, a, who win or who get a nomination and it's mm -hmm. really only an Oscar scene where literally any scene in this movie could have been that Oscar clip. You know what I mean? Like, there is not a dull point or dull moment in her performance. Um, one of my favorite points or parts, or I should say I have two really favorite parts in this performance, is it reminded me of the Diana Ross Lady Sings the Blues um, lipstick mirror meltdown. Only without the lipstick, she's putting on way too much blush. Like, bitch got into some blush with that scene where she's prepping to get back on the ice. And then the other scene that really stands out to me for her is near the end where she's in court and she's begging to do jail time because skating is her life. I mean, what Robbie does with Tanya Harding is actually make you care about Tanya Harding, which... To be fair, Tanya has always been put as the victim in the Nancy versus Tanya thing. So mm -hmm. when I say she makes you care about her, it kind of sheds a light on Tanya Harding that you never expected to. And that's obviously the script and the story, but that's really Robbie's performance. I mean, it is spot on. Um, I love this. I think this is great. Um, I really dig her in this. Um... She kind of like Allison Janney, um, she really rides this really tricky line that this movie is um, living on between um, humor and comedy and this very dark, troubling story of growing up in an abusive environment. And um, kind of unlike uh, Lady Bird, this is absolutely an, an abusive environment. There's no question about this one. Um, but Margot Robbie is funny when she needs to be, and she's completely tragic in other moments when she needs to be. And I think um, you buy it every time, or at least I do. Um, I don't know if, Joey, do you say she's pitted as the, or she's usually depicted as the victim in the Nancy Kerrigan stories? 
No, as the villain. Okay, I, okay, I misheard you. I thought you said victim because I was like, I don't know about that. But um, yeah, I agree with you. She is often characterized as the villain, and um, I I guess you could say she. Uh, I don't know the the details of the true story. I'm not really um, a figure skating aficionado, so I don't know like the whole backstory uh, besides what you know you see generally. But um, she is mm. um, related to the the villains of this whole um scheme so she gets roped into it and um you definitely feel sympathy for her in those um in those moments where she does lose her entire career over something that she didn't necessarily have a say in happening or was taken out of her hands and um blew up in a way that she wasn't expecting or necessarily even wanted but um but the movie also is very humorous at times. And I think not only is Allison Janney um, a huge part of that, but um, Margot Robbie, uh, her confessional scenes, whatever you want to call them, where she is speaking directly to the camera in that sort of documentary, um, those documentary sequences, mm -hmm. I think are particularly humorous. And we get, we get an impression very early on in this movie that this Tanya Harding has a wicked side to her when it comes to her humor, she has a bite to her. And uh, Margot Robbie, I think, really sinks her teeth into that, um, that notion. Uh, how close is that to real life? I'm not really sure. But um, I don't really take that into consideration too much when evaluating a movie and performance, especially one that you know is so liberal in its depiction of what's going on. But uh, Margot Robbie, I think, really, really captures what this movie's going for. I think she really fits. The director's vision and is uh, elevating the the film through her performance. So I really like it. So we just got a like literally he tweeted at us a minute ago as you were talking um, from Fritz and the Oscars, and I think that this is such a great question that I want to hit this right off the bat. Um, do you think if I Tanya had been about a man, it would have been a Best Picture nominee? Right off the bat, I want to say yes, because of, and I'm going to use this as an example, um, what happened last year, even though it was my runner-up, Ford versus Ferrari, uh, look, I'm going to use that as the example, because look at that. I mean, the, that, the, that was a story about men. And as we know, the Academy doesn't really tend to nominate best pictures that are stories about women, even though you do have the occasional nominee, like even last year with Little Women. Um, what do you guys think? Yeah, I think it was in the running to be nominated. I think it was close. You know, there was that year, this year was tough, I think, for Best Picture. Um, I would have personally, I wouldn't have put it in my lineup, but I think it was super close and I, I would have rather have taken out another film, which we're going to discuss on the actor side that I think should be taken out and shouldn't even be considered at I, all. I see the, um, why people might say that a movie about, if you just made this movie about men, it would be mm -hmm. lauded more, but I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure if this movie really would have made it into a best picture lineup given, you know, I think it's the tone. I think, um, mm. concerns a lot of people and the way it depicts, uh, the events and how they unfolded. Um, I'm also just curious what a I, Tanya movie about men would look like. I'm just like picturing this now and I'm just curious. 
but I don't, I don't know if it would, you know, automatically become a best picture contender just because of man. I'm not entirely convinced of that, but, um, yeah, I don't know, I guess is the answer. <laughs> I Todd. Oh no, not that. <laughs> I Todd. Um, from Breathing Brittany or at Breathing Brittany. Why do you think Margot's performance got overshadowed by Allison's, even when there was some campaigning for Mar- for Margot and even Tanya Harding did promo for the movie? That's I a disagree. great question. I disagree, though. I don't think that's the case at all. I just think that Janie became the front runner very early on. I think they just focused their attention on that. I don't think she overshadowed, was overshadowed. Margot Robbie kind of held her own. It's also hard to go toe-to-toe with somebody like Janie, who's like a titan, you know? Yeah, I don't know if uh, overshadowed is correct, but I think there was more of a, there was more of a desire among industry people to give Janie an Oscar, someone who had been in the game for so long and had gone largely unrecognized in the film world. Um, Emmy-wise, she's very recognized. She is like a goddess at the Emmys, but she has been doing movies just as long as TV. And I think this was finally the opportunity to recognize her for all that she's done. And it's just simply a good performance. So all things considered, I think there was just more of a desire to give Gianni the Oscar than there was for Robbie, who is still a relatively a newcomer, just starting to be taken seriously, you know? So I just don't think the the desire was there for Margot Robbie as it was for Gianni. I agree. I would also like to bring out something that I'm surprised neither of you guys have been brought up yet. In the decade, I wouldn't say this is the strongest Best Actress lineup. I think that still belongs to 2010, but this is a pretty strong year all around. And there could be a solid reasoning for any of these five women to win. Um, So I think that also played into the strength of who is nominated here. I would say four of them deserve to win. (laughs) But we haven't gotten to one of them yet. So I'm just going to... Uh, so we, we have another question about um, uh, Robbie, but we can't get to it until we get to Ronan. Okay, okay T. Well, uh, we'll just go into Saoirse Ronan then for uh, Lady Bird. So this is Ireland. her third. Oh, uh, yes. So this is her third of four nominations, having been up for Atonement in Brooklyn prior. Going into this, she is our Golden Globe winner for comedy. She also takes the New York Film Critics and Gotham. And she is recognized with BAFTA, SAG, the Critics' Choice Awards, also getting that Critics' Choice Award for Comedy nomination. She also is nominated for um, the Indie Spirit Award, as well as with the National Society of Film Critics, uh, MTV Movie Awards, and the Dorian Awards. In Lady Bird, uh, Saoirse Ronan plays Lady Bird, the titular role. She is a troubled high school senior from the wrong side of the tracks who yearns for a better life. So, Joey, how do you feel about Saoirse in Lady Bird? Well, going off of my thoughts from when we talked about Jannie, I'm sorry, Metcalf, leaving Lady Bird, I was like, wow, this is like, this is one of those films I, where, again, I feel I most related to with high school because I think it really captures the mid-2000s high school experience. I mean, I graduated high school in 2010, so granted, I was literally 10 years ago. But I still believe, like, I was in high school in the mid-2000s. So it's like, you know, I I definitely saw that. Like Metcalf as well, I think this is a fine nomination. Um, I don't 
let this be a thing where you think I'm going to put her. But I was always fine with the nomination, but I also didn't understand the nomination because had Lady Bird come out in the 90s and like Parker Posey played this role, this movie would have never gotten the Oscar love that it, it got. And I guess while I think it's great, I just don't understand it. I don't understand why this movie specifically was such an Oscar contender. And that's not sh shade or anything. I just, I would like to know why. Um, I will say and take this as it is, I, you know, leave it as it is. I think, um, especially after Frances Ha, I think um, Greta Gerwig is a better actress than she is a director. Um, and I would be interested to see what else in this type of genre she can do because again i felt it most related to a high school experience um but i think ronin what she's doing here i think ronin is a queen of accents i i honestly do agree with a lot of people's thought that she is this generation's meryl streep i mean hello she pulled in four oscar nominations already before the age of what 25 um but i am actually going to save some more thoughts for when the ranking comes along because i'm Gonna go from there. Oh, right. Um, so I related to this performance out of the five the most, I would say. Um, I graduated high school in 2013, so just a few years after my sister, um, Joey. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just really love this performance. Like, like with Hawkins, I think they're both so brilliant, and and with Robbie too. The three of them so far and, uh, and honestly the four that we've discussed so far I really love each and each of them actually in my personal Oscar ranking if I had to choose my own nominations these four would definitely be in my five um absolutely so I love this performance I love everything this movie says about you know honestly this is the movie I love the most I think I have to mm -hmm. think in my mind out of this year um I love her performance and She's such a gifted actress, and she is the queen of the accents. She's personable as hell, and she's beautiful, talented, show-stopping, never be the same. I'm not going to finish the rest of that, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, accent queen, coming from Meryl's title. Um, I think Saoirse Ronan is... <laughs> kidding. Uh, I think Saoirse is great in Lady Bird. I also really just like this movie. Um, she is such a lively performer in this and so mm -hmm. versatile when you just you put all of her nominations side by side and see all the things that she does. Um, she really lives and breathes this character. And it's the character I relate most to. I think that might have to do with it being the youngest character. Um, and I know Tanya Harding is relatively young in many parts of the story, but I mean, that's such a specific, um, less universal um, story. But uh, Lady Bird... I think is hilarious and Sersha really leans into this character who really thinks quite highly of herself a lot of the time while she's, you know, navigating all of these um, coming of age, rite of passage moments. Um, and she does it while being hilarious. Um, I love her scenes with Timothy Chalamet, especially um, when he, he is so fucking full of himself and so pompous in this movie. I think he captures that character that high school character type very mm -hmm. well. And her moments where she is almost trying to go toe to toe with his faux intelligentsia. 
I find really cool. And when, you know, he's playing this like too cool for school kind of guy and she tries to lean into that a little bit too so that he thinks highly of her. Um, she kind of puts on a lot of masks in this movie um, when she's trying to sort of fit these different molds, which is kind of ironic in a way because she's trying to trailblaze her own path. You know, um, it's a really interesting little contradiction I think comes with trying to figure out what the hell's going on with your life at this, yeah. at this age. Um, and Sersha really nails it, I think, uh, being able to express all these different facets of Lady Bird's being while also being true to Lady Bird at her core. So um, I think this is a lovely little nomination, and I'm glad that this movie was recognized at the Oscars period. So um, I really dig it. Do you guys think, do you guys, again, I'm not throwing shade at it because, again, I enjoyed it. Do you guys think you understand why Lady Bird became the Oscar darling it did? Because I don't get it. Again, not it's not bad. I think it's great. But what do you think it was that made this the little the little film that could that year? The film festival buzz, maybe? Because it had that, a lot of... Maybe? Well, then, we all said that we relate to this movie. So I wonder mm -hmm. how much people also related to this movie being, you know artistically inclined people coming from mm -hmm. perhaps not so artistically inclined backgrounds and it's also just it's a charming film that's well made and it's funny and features you know some pretty solid performances across the board um you know we've mentioned what so Saoirse, Laurie, uh, Timothy and uh, Beanie also Tracy Letts is fantastic in this movie I, as her father I think he's hilarious also her, her brother and his girlfriend I think are really funny in this so across Lucas the board, Hedges. it's just a, yeah, Lucas Hedges as well. Yes, and, Lucas um, Bottom Hedges. And the, <laughs> the drama teacher dude. Yes. It's great. Uh, it's just a well-made film that I think captures a very unique moment in time, and it spoke to a lot of people. So it managed to um, break through, I think. I agree. So also, too, if um, I just spent two weeks in Sacramento last month. If you ever go when shit's not locked down because California, I mean, we're still in the middle of COVID, um, they actually do ladybird tours where you can go and pay to go to all of the um, uh, filming locations. Or if you're like oh. me and you just know the area, I will take you for free and you can go have a drink at that cafe and shit. So just oh saying, in Sacramento, they do ladybird tours. Well, I am moving to Los Angeles next year, so I will make a stop in Sacramento at some point. There you go. There you go. Um, okay, so we've got, now we can get to that question there. Let me find it. Again, professional today, right, guys? Oh. All right. <laughs> no, really, I lost it. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Da, 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 da. I'm, I'm just going to be like Ashley Simpson to do a hoedown really quick, so just watch that. I can mention something else while you look for that. Uh, yes. Have you guys seen? Oh, got it, got it. Okay, go ahead. Before <laughs> you lose it. At Jenny Schmidt 44. Speaking of accents, who is more impressive in hiding their accent, Margot or Sersha? Sersha. Sersha. Sersha, yeah. We love you, Margot, though. You kind of snapped. She ate that, but <laughs> Sersha Ronan is the queen of accents and always will be. Indeed. So. Um, one more thing about just this sort of movie as a whole. Have you guys ever seen the movie Real Women Have Curves? Yes. Long time ago. So um, for those who haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's, um, it's basically Lady Bird from 2002, uh, starring America uh, Ferreira. 
So it's a very similar film. Uh, a lot of I remember when Lady Bird came out, a lot of people were criticizing it because it sort of copied real women have curves in a lot of ways. Um, I don't think they're the exact same film, not making that claim. But um, if you love Lady Bird, really recommend checking out um, Real Women Have Curves, which has a lot of um, similar themes going on, but um, told through like a Mexican-American um, point of view. I'm here so, for that. Yeah. So um, anything else on Sersha before we move on? Um, I love her. Anyways, okay, moving on. <laughs> Okay, our final nominee is Meryl Streep, nominated for The Post, and this oh. is her last nomination ever. We did it, guys. We made it all the way through Meryl's nominations. <laughs> this is her final one of all time, <laughs> and we did it. Going into Oscar night, Meryl's only precursor win was with the National Board of Review, though she is recognized at the Golden Globes for Drama with the uh, Critics' Choice Awards and at the AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards. In the post, uh, Meryl Streep plays Kay Graham, the publisher of the Washington Post amid the leaking of the Pentagon Papers and finds herself caught in a battle between the Nixon White House and the journalists working for her who want to um, use their freedom of the press to report. Uh -huh. So, um, Rai, I guess we'll start with you. How do you feel about Meryl in the Post? Okay. I've been waiting for this the entire um, episode, to be honest. So <laughs> I started the, with you. This is the biggest, like, I really don't give a fuck nomination. I don't care about this movie. I don't care about her performance. It bored me. I remember sitting in AMC Lincoln Square in New York City watching this movie thinking to myself, how did we end up here? And what the hell are we going to do now? <laughs> That's just how I felt. And I mean, and it's not like she's bad in the movie. I just didn't care. And I wasn't living for her. And like the wig was kind of, you know, boring. That wig was not placed right. Anyways. <laughs> I have been waiting because I I mean like going into this I kind of knew that this was going to be the one that he really didn't like um, with that said I'm the complete opposite I love this movie I saw this also at an AMC although mine was Westwood here in Cleveland um, I, I, I've said this before I really really like history whether that's American history world history it's my favorite subject and I'm really political like I love political science. So I really enjoyed this film. Um, I remember everyone's universal thinking going into this, like this was going to be the Steven Spielberg movie that really brought him back. And it kind of really fizzled out fast. I mean, one of the, one, one of the opening jokes, at the globes was mentioning the post. And um, do you guys remember one of the, one of the people came out, for a shit ton of Golden Globes when they mentioned Streep, Hanks, and Spielberg in the post and then walked back because they're like, it's not time, it's not time, and then none of them won. Embarrassing. Um, but no, uh, when it comes to Streep's performance, I think this is really good. I honestly would say this is one of her best nominations. Um, I, she's not very showy here. A lot of what she's doing is very much like Hawkins. It's in her expression it's in her in her reaction. I and in fact, I will go this far to say that this whole nomination is a reaction nomination, because, excuse me, um, Kay Graham is uh, was a very poignant 
yet reserved woman. And I think what Street does here is exactly that. Um, I don't really have a complaint about this nomination. I think this is great. Um, I, I Again, I think I would argue that any of these five women could have won. And that's just because I know, again, the background of K-Gram because, uh, again, uh-huh. I love uh, history. And I think what she's doing here is pretty much what K would have loved to see. Um, so, yeah, I like it. I, I, I like it a lot. I think this is a Meryl nomination that is going to age very well. Um, I really like this Meryl nomination, to be honest. Um, it's grown on me. And um, that's why I think partially, that's partially why I think it's going to age well. Because when I first saw it, I thought the movie was pretty good and Meryl was pretty good and I didn't really love it, but I had nothing really negative to say. Um, Rewatching it last week for this, I think this movie is excellent. And I think Meryl is also excellent. Um, It took it two viewings for me to really get it. And I think this also might be one of Meryl's best nominations, if not that one of her most underrated, because it feels like one that people don't talk about very often. but I see where you're coming from, Joy, with the reactions, because uh, this is a bit of a reaction performance because Kay Graham exists in this very weird place where she is a woman publisher of a major newspaper at this time when women were not being taken seriously. And we see that several times throughout this movie. Like there's boardroom scenes where she goes to speak and someone instantly speaks over her even though she is the literal owner of the newspaper that they are talking about in this boardroom. And there's, I think in that very scene, there's someone who later on says exactly what she had just started to say, and he is taken seriously and given the time of day, whereas she's not. And there's another moment where like, Kay is, she's being honored or recognized for something and they're sitting at a table and she goes to stand up and to say something. And a guy literally standing next to her puts his hand on her shoulder and pushes her back down into her chair. And Meryl's reactions in these moments are so telling and so powerful because you have this person, Kay Graham, who ostensibly changed the course of history in this country by publishing the Pentagon Papers. She changed people's perceptions of the Vietnam War and the Nixon White House. She is a hero for all intents and purposes. And she gained, or she received so little respect in her life leading up to that moment. Her father, I believe they say, was, if not the founder of the Washington Post, he was like, he ran it before her. But then he bequeathed it to her husband instead of her, her. not even his own daughter. And she didn't even gain control of it until her husband died. And And she received it willed to her through the death of her husband who wasn't even blood relation to her father. And so I think Meryl really projects this trapped feeling that Kay has where she is truly an important person before the Pentagon Papers situation she was an important person but she was not seen as one yet even though she knew deep down that she was but it took this moment to really pull it out of her i love the the scene where she's on the phone and it's her call to publish or not publish everyone is on the line waiting for her to say it and you see in meryl's eyes all the history of America leading up to this moment and knowing exactly what is going to happen in this country if they publish. And then she makes the decision and says, go for it. 
and immediately hangs up the phone. She doesn't even say bye. She doesn't give explanation. She doesn't say why. She just says yes and hangs up the phone. That is a power move. And mm-hmm. Meryl is fucking great in this movie. And I think it is going to age like fine wine. I think people are going to really understand as the years go on how great she is in this. And like we were saying earlier, this is the opposite of Shelley. In these reaction moments, Meryl's not uh, performing with a megaphone. She is simply just existing as this person. Uh And Steven Spielberg is very wise in the way he shoots a lot of these scenes because we, he frames it so that we know exactly how we should be viewing her. You know what I mean? Like we were saying earlier with Spike Lee, or not, yeah, Spike Lee and Defy Bloods and how he really understands cinematic language and how to get an audience reaction and how to uh-huh. inform your audience on how they should be reacting. Steven Spielberg is doing the exact same thing here in The Post. And Meryl is taking everything he is doing and elevating it without convincing you that she's doing it. She just simply is because she is that good. And I love this movie. It took two viewings for me to really get it. Um, but um, people have not given this movie a second watch. I highly recommend it and really zero in on Meryl and what she's doing because this is truly some of her best work. I'm going to say it's her best work of this decade at the very least. And um, she's great. Well, we've got some questions. Honestly, like I, we, we answer as many questions as we can, but I think all three of these actually make a pretty good point. So I'm just going to include three of them and see if we can get through them real quick. Um, Mr. Reese's Cups, also while I do think Streep is quite good in the post and it's her best nom since Double Wears Prada, I do think it was kind of an obligatory... Obligatory? Thank you. I can't do shit today. Obligatory nom. Ooh, nice tongue pop. Would you replace her with anyone? I would say no. Yes. Would you replace her with Rob? Yes. Uh, Michelle Williams, all the money in the world. <laughs> I wish we were doing a second, a different episode right now because I want to comment on that, but I shan't. I shan't. Okay. You know what? It's uh, all about the wigs. That's what it is. <laughs> From Chris Mindick, do you think Meryl could have gone supporting? I'm going to also say no. No. No, she is this movie. Yeah, she's she's the lead. She is that. She Yeah, no, she's the lead. <laughs> All right. And then leading out of Meryl, um, we actually, I, I miscounted because I can't do shit today. From Kristoff, the wife premiered at TIFF in September 2017 in an alternate universe in which it got a 2017 release or at least a late December qualifying run. Would Glenn Close have had a chance at winning over McDormand? I am also going to say no. No. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she would have been in the running and it would have been a tight race, but. I don't know if she would have triumphed. Three Billboards felt like a, a performance that was undeniable when it came out. Regardless of yep. your feelings on the movie, the performance itself was was it. You know what I mean? I agree. So, I agree. Yeah, I don't know if Close would have triumphed. But um, Honestly, I think if she had, it would have been by a hair. Do you so. think she would have even gotten nominated? I, I don't it's possible. I don't know. I think she might have missed. I don't know who she would have knocked, but I think it's possible. Robbie, maybe? That's what I was thinking, to be honest. I was thinking if anyone, it would be Robbie. But, Which um, would be a shame. I'm sorry. Not over Glenn Close. Mm-hmm. No, Mama. 
<laughs> well, leading into our final question, because it also has to deal with an actress. From at underscore certified copy, did Brooklyn Prince deserve a nom for the Florida Project? I personally believe her age is the reason she got ignored, and the same thing happened with Tremblay and Room for a couple years before. To echo off of every other question, no. But I'm going to say fuck no, because the Florida Project is goddamn terrible. There is not one redeeming factor that I like about that movie at all, so fuck no. That's just me. I'm going to say no to... The actress. Um, the Florida Project as a movie just didn't really click with me when I saw it. Um, I have not rewatched it. I've only seen it the one time. I don't dislike it, but it didn't really hit me in the way that I know it hit a lot of other people. So maybe it's a movie like The Post where a second watch will really tell me something. But as of right now, I'm just going to say generally no to um, nom- the nomination. Um. Uh... Hmm. No, but I put her in supporting. I know she's the lead. I am the queen of category fraud. Everyone calls me this. <laughs> I am the queen of category fraud. Hashtag Alicia Vikander. Um, I am. Oh. I really am the queen of. No, I am. Everyone drags me. I love her. I'm a mess. I I liked her performance. I don't think I would have nominated her in a group of five in either category, but. I thought she was charming and she's adorable. You know what? F it now. No, she doesn't deserve a nomination. Okay, moving on. Where there you go, everyone. Those are our questions. All right. So bringing it back to the ranking, my favorite part of the entire uh, show. Uh, again, going over your nominees for 2017, you had Octavia Spencer, Leslie Manville, Mary J. Blige, Lori Metcalf, and Allison Janney. I'm just going to say it because I'm pretty sure we're all going to be on the same page, but at least for me, Mary J. Blige comes in dead last here at five. Right? Yep, she's dead last for me. Yeah, me as well. Uh, Mary J. Blige is my number five for Mudbound. Yeah, Mudbound. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just nothing there. Um, for me, number four, I'm actually going to go Lori Metcalf here. Um I, I, I'm Lori Metcalf, and I'll explain why when I get to Saoirse Ronan. Okay, um, my fourth is uh, Leslie Manville. I I thought it was good, but it didn't really snatch my wig. Um, my number four is Octavia Spencer for The Shape of Water. Um, I think she's lovely in this, and I always enjoy her, but um, it just didn't quite do as much for me as um, the other ones. Uh, didn't find it as groundbreaking, I guess you could mm. say. So um, Octavia Spencer is my number four for The Shape of Water. Well, my number three was a really solid middle ground for me, and that's actually Octavia Spencer. I think she's good here, and again, when I leave The Shape of Water, I really think of her character when I leave, because I think she brings the biggest impression in the film acting-wise. But yeah, it's just one of those things where the other two do more for me, and so therefore Spencer has to be number three. Uh, To echo your statement, I feel the same exact way. Octavia Spencer is my number three. I loved her performance, but she, um, I can't rank her higher. I think it would be a hate crime for my friends. I don't think we would, I don't think I'd be able to leave this, this, uh, podcast and and be able to go out in the world and watch movies if I ranked her any higher than three, to be honest. 
my number three is Alice and Janney for I, Tanya. Uh, love that Alice and Janney finally has a nomination because she's deserved it for a long time. But um, this top three is actually pretty tight for me. Um, I'd be okay with, honestly, any of my top three winning. Um, like I said earlier, I don't hate on this Alice and Janney win. Um, I think it's deserved. It's just not the one that I would have gone for. The other two are just a little bit more interesting for me on a personal level. So uh, Alice and Janney, yeah, Alice and Janney is my number three for Itania. Well, buckle in because you both guessed me for Leslie Manville. And this time she's actually my runner up. I agree with the Academy that Janney was the correct winner here. Manville is the best thing about Phantom Thread. Like I said, when I revisited it, I only watched her and I enjoyed everything she was in. But Janney is a full rounded character who doesn't have one moment where she's dull. I love the, the brassness of her. I think this is highly deserved. Um, it's fucking amazing. I love it. And I'm so glad that she has an Oscar. Right. So my number two was Allison Janney. I really loved her in the film, but I couldn't rank her number one. I really am a Laurie Metcalf stan. And I just really thought her performance was the best out of the lineup. And, uh, I love Alice and Jenny though, but I just I was team my calf all season. I, I'm not gonna lie, I'm sitting here, but I wasn't. I, she was my girl. There it is. So um, my runner-up is Lori Metcalf for Lady Bird. Um, I really like her in this film. I think this is a very complex performance that doesn't necessarily like shove it in your face how complex it is. Um, I think there's a lot going on there, and I really like peeling it back and you know digging for these little moments and motivations inside of Marion. But mm -hmm. um, Leslie Manville and Phantom Thread is me and I am her. And um, this is my <laughs> Oscar. So Period. Leslie Manville is my winner for Phantom Thread. Yo, I am two for two right now. I win as of now. Let's see if it continues. Um, so as a reminder, your uh, lead actresses were Frances McDormand for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Sally Hawkins for The Shape of Water, Margot Robbie for I, Tanya, Saoirse Ronan for Lady Bird, and Meryl Streep for The Post. And I'm going to put Frances McDormand at number five. I'm fully fessing up to the fact that my impression of the film is weighing partially on this performance. But I'm also going to hearken back to our discussion of North Country, where I feel like when I see a Frances McDormand performance, I know exactly what I'm gonna get. She's good. She's a roller coaster of a performer. She always delivers. But I don't know if she is stretching herself in this role as much mm -hmm. as her co-nominees are. So yeah, I don't care for this movie, but also I think the other four are just doing a little bit more for me and what I get out of performances. So Frances McDormand is my number five, right? My number five is Meryl Streep. I think that's no surprise to anyone here today. Um, she was good. I mean, I'm not upset about the nomination, to be honest. I want to watch the movie again now because you guys both sold it pretty well. Honestly, right after this, I'm probably going to watch The Post. I'm not going to lie to you. Okay. Because yeah. I'm just, I'm curious to, to, to revisit because I haven't seen it again. So I watched a lot of other movies um, in preparation for today, but I did not watch the post um i rank your number five because i love the other four so much and when it comes honestly i'm not even gonna joke with you number one through four for me they're all pretty neck and neck i'm not even joking i loved them all that much so it's gonna be very hard i'm gonna probably start crying because 
I think they're gonna get mad at me. Their publicists are gonna come find me. I don't know. <laughs> I'm scared. Well, listen, don't don't feel bad. Don't feel bad whatsoever. And I agree with you that these are these are all really strong. And I've said it this whole time. I think there could be a an argument for either of these ladies to win. But number five, I got to give it to Saoirse Ronan. Um, and the reason why I really was kind of reserved in talking about Metcalf right off the bat is uh-huh. I had to wait for this here. I was fine throughout the entire season with the nominations, but in no way did I find either Metcalf nor Ronan to be win-worthy. Um, and that's just because, again, I feel that this could have been a film in the 90s with Parker Posey and it didn't go anywhere. You know what I mean? Like uh. anyone, anyone could have played this role. And you can't really find that with the other four and their roles, um, in my opinion. And while, again, I don't, think that she's bad it's just not win worthy material for me here so yeah. don't take this as Sir Ronan's the worst in the list just I, I just find her that I have to rank her somewhere and I can't really put her above five yeah like Rye was saying this top four is pretty solid for me um but I think today I'm putting Margot Robbie at number four for mm-hmm. um I Tanya this is at how I ranked it this morning before we started recording and I feel okay leaving it that way. Um, I think Margot Robbie's great in Itania. I'm glad that she is being legitimately taken seriously now as a performer, as an actress, you know, not just, you know, this, a beautiful person who has this movie star persona uh, because she really shows off her chops in this movie. And um, this is a well-deserved nomination, but um I'm just a little bit more close to the other three. So Margot Robbie is my number four for I, Tanya. So my number four is Frances McDormand. Um, I mean, for me, these these four are like splitting hairs at this point. Like I'm having a hard time. And honestly, I've changed my ranking like six times since this Oscar year between the four of them. Like, uh... yeah, she's my number four. I don't know. I just feel like it's, I don't, the other three ones are so strong to me, and if I'm splitting hairs and I have to really think about it, especially because I preferred the other three movies more, I think. I lied, never mind. My number three won't be telling. All right, now, she's number four because I think the other three are better. Done. Well, number four, I'm giving it to Sally Hawkins. Um, She's good, and I have no complaints about this, but yeah, this is, we're all on the same page. This is a neck and neck. This is neck and neck, yeah. Sally Hawkins at four. Uh, my number three is Sersha Ronan for Lady Bird. Um, I love Sersha in this. She is so powerful, and with each performance, each nomination, she is really showing that she is going to be a huge power player here in the future with the Academy and just in film in general. And um, she really stands her ground in this film, like the um, the scene with Laurie Metcalf where she's saying, give me a number so that she can pay off her mother and never have to see her ever again. I didn't mention it earlier when we talked about her, but that scene gives me chills when I watch it. Um, Saoirse's fantastic uh, in this film and in general, but um, in this lineup, she's only my number three for Lady Bird. So my number three, I actually just decided right now, right here and then, because I'm still, I'm like, my mind is like in 800 places. My number three is Margot Robbie for I, Tanya, And this was the hardest place to put her because her performance is so brilliant. And I'm almost coming up emotion right now. I'm almost going to start crying 
because I'm not even joking like that ass because her performance is so powerful. I don't think I expressed how much I really appreciated what she did. Um, but I have to rank her third because the other two performances to me are just like top tier. It's like ugh, I hate I hate ranking these girls because they're they're so iconic and they're skinny legends. So struggling here. <laughs> Well, if if Rye, if we agree on anything, it's where we put our third place actresses because Margot Robbie is also my number three. Um, she is amazing here. I don't think anyone else could have played this role. I look forward to a revisit to I Tanya every time that I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but my final two being Streep and McDormand, there's just no beating um, either of those two. So Robbie's got to go with three. Well, y'all ready for the gag of the season? Because oh, yes, God. Sally Hawkins is my number two and Meryl's my number one. Um, this is my Mama. lineup. Both lineups are as I wrote them this morning. I didn't change anything after our conversation. Um, it was really my rewatch of the post that solidified Meryl as my number one. If you had asked me uh, this Oscar season, I probably would not have said Meryl. It would have been Sally Hawkins. And if you had asked me leading up to my rewatch of the post, I would have said the same thing. But... Um, I'm really glad I got to give that movie another chance because um, it completely changed my opinion of Meryl in it. Um, Sally Hawkins, though, to circle back, um, fantastic. Um, I don't know what to say that hasn't already been said, but she is truly a treasure. Um, And this movie puts so many of her talents on full display. And the movie itself is so freaking good. And she is such a perfect fit for Eliza. My heart goes out to her so often, and in any other year, this definitely could have been her Oscar for me, or just period. But um, Meryl in the Post, I think, is one of her most underrated performances, and um, I'm pretty confident that it's going to age pretty well. Um, I think people are going to look back on it pretty fondly when they do their, like, Meryl marathons Mm -hmm. and watch them all back to back to back. It's also a very interesting film and performance to watch right now. Um, I know the movie was timely as hell with a capital T when it came out. And I think that was part of the pushback to it. Some people thought it was a little bit too timely, too on the nose. But um, it still rings true today. And that's really troubling. But that just goes to show how fantastic this movie and the performance is um, across the board. So uh, Sally Hawkins is my number two for The Shape of Water. And Meryl's my number one for The Post. This was the most difficult decision between these two iconic queens. My number two, I only have one photo on my hands. Just kidding. My, <laughs> um, my number two is Sally Hawkins for The Shape of Water. And it's only because I think I'm such a slut for Saoirse Ronan. I am. I'm a Saoirse Ronan slut. And I feel like I'm always going to be. And Sally Hawkins did give me life and she redeemed herself after her nomination for Blue Jasmine, which I thought was um, a criminal move, um, in my opinion. I don't know. Other people probably are like, shut up, you bitch. And I'll be like, okay, that's fine. Uh, But um, Sally Hawkins is my number two because she completely embodied that character and she gave me life. But Saoirse Ronan took me to another planet. Like, I remember leaving the theater feeling beat up by her in a good way. Like, I honestly took that beating really good. Not in a good way. You know what I mean? Like, I just felt like I left the movie thinking, yeah. wow, she did that. She ate that. She delivered. Um, 
because I've always been a fan of hers, but I don't know, this was like the performance where I was like, oh my God, I was like, this girl's going to be an Academy favorite for a very long time. I said, I, I said to myself, I think she's going to be here for a long time. She's going to be like Meryl, I think. I thought yeah. Jennifer Lawrence was our Meryl, but I really think it's Saoirse Ronan, actually. Yeah, I think to go off of that really quick, I just want to comment. I think Jennifer Lawrence started off the decade like that, but she got so oversaturated. So yes. Yeah, Ronan I agree. Sneak in there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have Streep and McDormand left, both of whom I've given Oscars to before on this show. Um, my runner-up, though, is Frances McDormand, and I am also giving Meryl Streep a win here. Um, I think McDormand, I love that she won for this. Um, I really, really like her performance, and I don't begrudge her for having this Oscar. But this really should have gone to Meryl Streep, in my opinion. Um, I, I agree with everything Brandon has said. I think this will go down as one of Streep's best and most underrated I have been, since this Academy Awards ceremony, Team Streep. Um, but that is only, like I said, because I really understood and knew who K-Gram was. And, uh-huh. and, and so I, I knew going into it kind of what to expect. I, I, I can see, I could see both sides. I could see knowing who K-Gram was and seeing Meryl, Meryl Streep performing. And then I could understand also not knowing who K-Gram was because she isn't really like well-known in history, which is a sham. Um, because she did really control how this whole shit went down with Watergate and the Vietnam War and all that. Um, I, I think this is brilliant. I think I really, really hope that this is not Meryl Streep's last time at the Oscars because I would like her to tie with Katherine Hepburn or beat her. I think at this point she can at least tie with her. Um, but yeah, I would have given Meryl Streep the win here. So my winners were Alice and Janie and Meryl Streep. My winners were Saoirse Ronan and Laurie Metcalf. And I had Leslie Manville, who invented teacup acting, and Meryl Streep, who invented the caftan. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so for the record, though, I would like to point out that I was pretty goddamn spot on, because had Brandon not rewatched Streep there, I would have been on point with his pick for Hawkins. Mm Mm-hmm. Just I'm predictable. Saying. I'm predictable. So I mean, it was kind of. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of obvious. I was probably gonna go for the Ladybird Girls, the duo. I think that was kind of obvious, since, you know, I had my own award show in college called the Ryan Oscars, and they, I tied Janie and Metcalf. But when I really thought about it today, I was like, no, it's gonna be Jan. I mean, it's gonna be Metcalf. Well, it's but funny it was, because that was close. Okay. It was super well, it... close between the two of them. Yeah. It's funny that. because I usually, quote-unquote, pull the shockers, and I really mm-hmm. thought I was going to be the shocker with this episode with Meryl. But Brandon done snuck up underneath me and fucking did it first. So was I shocked that he picked Meryl Streep? Hell yeah. But am I happy as hell? Absolutely. I agree. I think, honestly, when I rewatched the movie and when I talked to both of you about it, I might see it in a different light, and McDormand might be in fifth place. We'll see. Well, let us know what, you know. I will. Message trust us, me. DM us. You'll, um, you'll hear. <laughs> Rye, where can the people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Project Slay. You can also find me um, on my podcast with Daniel Brilliant at The Gay Verts, um, available on iTunes and Spotify. Perfect. Brandon? Yes? Anything you want to add before we head out? <laughs> no. I think I'm good. All right. 
Now, because Rai is our special guest today, we must say goodbye in the most Project Slave fashion as possible. Exactly. On that count of three, if you can tongue pop, you tongue pop and say bye. Are you ready? One, two, three. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for having me.